thank you for listening to this Exploring ASD podcast with the Northern Trust. I'm James Nelson, a psychiatrist in the Trust, and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Seanine, uh, today. Seanine, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, James. Thanks for having me on today. As you said, my name is Seanine, and I am one of the highly specialist speech and language therapists in the Pediatric ASD service. I have been an SLT for about 13 years now, and seven and a half of those have been spent here in the ASD team. Great. Thanks again for joining us uh, today, Seanine. And the title of our podcast today is Connecting Through Communication. And uh, I know there's a a lot for us to to cover today around communication, especially for uh, autistic young people. And maybe just to set the scene, Seanine, if we start with something quite basic about definitions, what uh, do we mean when we're talking about communication and, and, and what sort of different ways do we communicate? Yes. Um, so communication, it's effectively the sending and receiving of information between two people. For communication to happen, there needs to be a motivation or a reason to send or receive the message. And when we think about those with ASD, they generally communicate to get their needs met, to provide information on a topic of their interests, or maybe to find out some more information, which is usually factual. It's usually the difficulties with the social understanding and social use of language um, that they struggle with and probably more James is the difficulties in relating to neurotypical or other neurodiverse presentations because actually communication and relationships between two people with ASD can work quite well. Also there has to be a sense of attention and listening and interest in what the other person is saying. There has to be a way to communicate and that can be verbal or it can be non-verbal through signing, Makaton, sign language, but to name a few. And there has to then be a shared code or mode of communication and shared understanding as well of the situation and the environment that they're in. Uh, you asked there how we communicate. So we communicate non-verbally. I mean, the research shows that about 93% or so of communication is actually non-verbal which is massive. Um, and then verbal language, which is the spoken word, is about 7%. And the rest is all about the tone and the volume. So it's about the way we say it, as they say. A lot in there already, Seanine, in our definitions, uh, thinking about communication and how communication can be impacted or different uh, for an autistic person. And, and then, again, maybe still thinking a bit generally what sort of things can get in the way of communicating and connecting well? Yeah, uh, so neurotypical people aren't always great at communicating or thinking deliberately about how we communicate either. ASD isn't always the main issue in the breakdown of the communication. If you think just in everyday life, there's loads of barriers to connecting with others in our family, um, whether that's physical barriers um, or cultural barriers or... The ability to actively listen, I think we could all probably think of that person that doesn't matter what we're saying, they always bring the topic back to their interests or their experience and not really valuing our input at all or our thoughts or feelings. Also, if you think about just our busy lives that we lead at this moment in time, so time is a big factor. How many families, you know, do prioritise communicating and connecting with each other in a meaningful way? It's very, very difficult. I appreciate that. Distance, if you think about in these COVID times, we actually haven't been able to physically meet up with our friends or families. A lot of time then, even just discomfort about the topic, we tend to shut down and maybe not 
explore the subject in the way that is needed. There's a lot then even just thinking about distractions and environmental factors. So whether that's, um, you know, noise or temperatures, if we're hungry, if we're tired, you know, all of these things have a massive impact on communication in general and how unwell, I suppose, it happens. I think there's a challenge in there for all of us, Seanine, even for one minute setting aside the autistic aspect of our discussion today. How often do we prioritise listening to those around us and really trying to prioritise communication? I think that's a helpful challenge. And just in case anyone listening is wondering when you mention neurotypical, in, in simple terms, we're thinking there of someone who's not autistic. Uh, isn't that right, Seanine? Yeah. Moving on then to think specifically about an autistic young person. Have we any advice for how a parent or carer could try and promote communication? For that young person yeah james there is a wide and varied range of communication difficulties that is associated with asd because of the very nature of the spectrum you're going to have some people who are non-verbal um, you're going to have some people who have an extensive and advanced vocabulary particularly in areas of their special interests but who can't maybe have a conversation about that very same topic and then you're going to have potentially young people who have the ability but don't see the need or the value in communicating so when we're thinking about tips there's going to be things that i talk about today that are relevant to you um, as a parent or care and there are ones that are going to be less relevant and it's really important to think about you know if there is a identified speech and language communication need to link in with uh, speech and language therapists that you are um, known to So supporting, understanding then, and family life, I suppose, just thinking about their barriers that we talked about earlier, how can we remove as many of those as possible? So at the very least, can we be in the same room um, as the person that we are trying to communicate with? There is so many times when we explore the communication system and actually, you know, we're not effectively Um, in the same environment or the same headspace as the person that we're trying to communicate with. Just limit as many distractions around as possible. Again, often the TV or the radio was on. Do they have to be on? Supporting um, their sensory and emotional regulation is so very important as well if we're wanting to communicate and connect effectively. And that is a whole different topic that I'm not going to go into today. Um, We need to get the young people's attention. First and foremost, so definitely say their name first. And there are going to be young people who may need you to actually even go into their physical space and potentially even tap them if that's appropriate, because they have difficulty sometimes transitioning from one thing to another. And that can just be from simply from the TV to what you're trying to say. Other ideas are thinking about the amount of language that you use and have short, simple, um, and repetitive demands or instructions given a nice one i like to use is providing choices so all the while um you know if you're thinking even just simply around food wise do you want a banana or do you want an apple and that one there it's a good idea to have their preferred choice at the end so they're more likely to model that language that they've just heard and then my colleague lois um, has done a podcast on supporting understanding and use of language through visuals Um, So I would recommend having a little listen to that as well. The biggest thing I think is the 10 second rule. Mm -hmm. 10 seconds is actually a really long time, okay? Um, But it's not a long time in terms of 
giving the other person a time to process the information that you are giving them and that's whether that's verbally or visually and also thinking about everything else that young people with ASD have to process regarding their environment. Also I love it as a parent it gives me time to slow down it gives me time to think about what is actually happening here right now with my child right in front of me and I think it's very very difficult again in this in the busy lives that we lead to feel that we can give our children or young people that time but it is so very necessary and it is one of those simple tips but really really effective. Lots of practical uh, advice in there Shawnee. I'm, I'm particularly struck by something you said near the start there about the basics so if uh, a parent's struggling around communication with a young person just checking in are you in the same room as them is the tv off uh, those basic things uh, as well as some of the more specific practical tips that that's very useful and i wonder Shawnee, is there any other uh, just when we're talking about practical tips are there any other ones you want to mention for folk listening yeah i think if we think about um, asd in terms of the very literal understanding and the black and white thinking that a young people uh, can have it's really important that the vocabulary that we use is precise and accurate we might say things like you know i want to pick your brains are your eyes painted on like i'd kill for a burger and their reactions might seem completely over dramatic or even amusing but if you think about that they are reacting in fear because they are genuinely thinking what you've said is true so really really be careful of what the language that we use around the literal thinking as well if you think about how they see themselves it's so very important and how we're describing them that we describe them accurately with lots of positive attributes but also you know they are going to do things that is going to be you know mistakes and wrong and that's okay but rather than saying you know you are silly nor you are mean you could be saying things like that was silly you know that was mean and hurtful um you know you spilt water and made a mess so just be very careful of the language that we use to promote their sense of being as well. Another good tip I think is telling them what to do rather than what not to do. So James, if I was to say to you now, whatever you do, do not think of a blue bus. Do not think of a blue bus. I think probably in your minds there is a blue bus. Um, and trying to get it out of there but yes there is <laughs> and that's because our brain actually doesn't pick up those negative words like no or don't all that hears is the like the concrete uh, message of the blue bus so if my aim was to, for you to think about the, the red car what i should have been saying is james think about the red car just flipping it around and then in home terms that's you know uh, get down stop hitting um stop running what you really want to say is, you know, walk, keep your feet um, on the carpet, things like that. Tell them actually what to do rather than what not to do. And then I think just think about the level of questioning that you're providing. Questions, WH questions are very difficult for our young people. Um, so you want to be thinking about as concrete as possible. So the what's first, then you're going to ask the where, then you're going to ask the who, you know, then you're going to ask the when. And then you're going to ask the how and very lastly is the why because sometimes we don't even know why we have done something ourselves never mind expect our young people to know that answer as well and just on those ones shawnee are you saying all those questions can be at times challenging for an autistic young person yeah mm-hmm. particularly if you think of the the when or the where actually 
because the concept of when um, can be difficult because a, a concept of time is difficult because it's not a concrete mm-hmm. idea. It's, you know, it's, it's abstract. It's something that we have decided upon ourselves as man-made thing. Um, and time, two minutes of me having a great talk with my best friend um, versus two minutes in an interview feels very differently. So yeah, there's lots of different reasons why they find it difficult. Okay. And I think the last thing I'm going to mention on helping them understand language is just be very clear again on what you're asking and not reliant on implied meaning or inferencing or, you know, that reading the situation. So an example would be if I was to say, what were you thinking? And my meaning was, you know, actually, what were you thinking there? Um, that's fine. But if I was to say, what were you thinking? Just that slight emphasis on the word you has changed the meaning completely. And what I was actually meaning was, I'm very surprised that you did that. And I would not have been surprised if the other person had done it. That makes me mad or confused. Help me understand. The person might look as if they are being cheeky, that they are um, not answering your question right. But actually they have, they have literally just answered what you have asked. So be very careful again, just of the language that we use. Yeah, that that's uh, an interesting one and, 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 a, and a challenge, I suppose, in there, Shawnee, isn't it? Both about figures of speech, which you mentioned earlier, about metaphors, and then even that last point about emphasis and how emphasis on a particular word can change the whole meaning. And we maybe often take it for granted that people follow that and you're pointing out to us they maybe don't um, and we need to, to be thoughtful about it. I guess it's a bit of a journey of learning for a family as they, they explore this. Absolutely. In terms of for young people with speech delay, Shawning, uh, any thoughts about how to encourage a young person in that situation to develop their language? That's a, a tricky area and, and something that probably causes parents some, some degree of stress. Yeah, so it'll depend on the severity, I suppose, of the delay. If they are nonverbal, it's about getting into their world and connecting with them through you know, their sensory processing and their interests and really getting down face-to-face into their space, if that is okay. Developing their attention and listening through cause and effect toys, go games. So that's things like bubbles where you'll be saying ready, steady, and you're expecting them to give you maybe not the word go. It could just be looking at you um, or, you know, grabbing for them. Again, you would want to explore the level um, with your speech and language therapist that's known to you. You want to reinforce meaningful words, I suppose, with rewards, providing them with a reason to communicate and usually food or um, preferred items are a really good one. Using their interests, as I said before, playing with them, you know, so we as parents sometimes don't realize the importance of play. So if we follow their lead during play, we need to just stop, watch what they're doing um, and respond to them and really in that moment. And it allows us then to provide models of language of things that they're interested in. And I mean, I could go on forever, but I think the last one that I'm going to say is about when we are making statements, think about providing a run on commentary on maybe on their play. So if you think about when you watch cooking shows, you know, the chef is explaining exactly what they're doing. Or you watch a sports show on TV, the commentators are explaining exactly what they see. So it's kind of that type of thing that we want to be doing with our young people as well. And the idea with that, Shanine, is so that you're 
helping them learn as as you're describing what they're doing that's the opportunity for them to learn those particular words and 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 help their vocabulary development is is that right yes so you're talking about things in their context uh, as in their environment right here right now they can see it see it they can feel it you know maybe taste it um so those words are meaningful to them whereas if you're trying to ask them questions about maybe what happened yesterday or what we're going to do tomorrow that's less meaningful and you're less likely to get um a response or a connection um, with your young person on those occasions and so if you're using words that have meaning to them you're more likely to support their learning of those words and their their speech development is that right yeah great uh thanks shawnee and then maybe moving on to children who don't have a speech delay but who do struggle with social rules and with social communication and we know that's a a really common issue a core issue really uh for for autistic young people have we any advice about that how can we support children's social communication development big question (laughs) yeah um well i think again if we think in terms of practical tips so for those children who don't understand the rules of personal space you know those who are maybe in your face or stand too far away so it's about teaching them um the arms length rule so one mum I know um she used a hula hoop actually and she put it around her and it took her the whole summer she was telling me to teach her son um the understanding of what personal space is and how close he's allowed to get to other people if we think of eye contact this can be a difficult one um, for our young people with ASD. Temple Grandin, she is an autistic adult and she explained in one of her books that she didn't know until she was an adult that messages could be sent through eye contact. So if we want to teach our young people that, you know, sometimes even just being very clear about the reasons for eye contact can be enough. And if they then choose that they want to use eye contact, teaching them the triangle rule. So if you think about where your eyes and your nose draw on a line between all of those things there will be a triangle and you just teach them to look in the middle so it kind of looks like they're looking at giving eye contact but they're not really but like I said it's really important that we respect that that is their choice to do that and giving them enough skill to pass themselves I suppose in situations where it's expected and again just on the importance of active listening for them sometimes it can just be a case of giving them the the okay to let the person the other person know that they're talking to that you know just because I'm not looking at you does mean to say I'm not listening I'm still here I'm still hearing what you're saying and I will have a conversation with you gestures is another non-verbal communication um that young people with ASD can sometimes struggle with so just even games like you know charades party games can be a good fun one and a safe space for them to do and Again, I was talking about assertiveness there or, you know, that confidence to, to tell people, you know, they, that they might need help or they might need clarification just to say, look, I don't know what is going on here. And they need a way to feel OK to express their feelings or concerns as well, just to reduce their vulnerability, you know, as they grow older as well. And it can be a case of literally just sitting down and talking through with your young person strategies and ways of how they can start a conversation how they can keep that conversation going and how to end it appropriately enough so that they can again pass themselves if they so choose to do so and it's important I suppose to stress that 
we don't give them too many things to think of at any one time so that they're so overwhelmed um, by all these rules of conversation that they're not actually engaged or connected with a person that they're supposed to be communicating with as well. Mm, Yeah, and I suppose that's something that they would develop with practice, even that bit about learning how to continue a conversation that uh, there might be quite a few faltering steps as they learn that, but hopefully with time and practice it becomes more fluid for them. Do you think in here, Seanine, there's differences between boys and girls? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference between the boys and girls is that as the girls become older into those teenage years, um, their difficulties with their social peers is more increased, um, more so than the boys. And a couple of reasons why girls can struggle in this age is maybe play dates aren't arranged by their parents in the same way they would have when they were younger. Their girlfriends, their interests are changing. The language um, that their peers use is becoming less clear. And then even if you think about the very literal interpretation of our young people, a lot of girls particularly um, would struggle with the fact that people can be friends with more than one person. You know, so she's my friend. So how possibly could she be anybody else's friend? And it's this idea of the well as, do you know, like being two-faced? So we all act differently in slightly different environments with different people but sometimes our teenagers on the spectrum can just see that she's behaving differently therefore I don't like her and therefore she's not my friend anymore. Yeah so a lot in there Seanine about the complexities of teenage relationships and trying to negotiate those maybe particularly for girls. If there's a parent listening who can definitely relate to this uh, maybe challenges at school for their autistic daughter um, what advice could we give? Any tips? Yeah, in terms of practical tips, it's about setting boundaries, um, being very clear in their expectations of what friendships are, um, what they look like, um, and how they can behave, I suppose, um, with their peer groups. One of the issues we often hear is, you know, mums or dads saying, We've seen their WhatsApp groups and they keep asking, you know, what are you at um, over and over again and nobody's maybe replying. So again, just being very clear with set boundaries of how many times in the day they're allowed to enter that question into the group chat, how long maybe they have to wait until somebody replies um, and at what point then do they need to leave the group if, you know, nobody's responding to them again as well. So that's a really one we hear more often than not actually and I was listening to a podcast by Pookie Nightsmith the other day and she was speaking to an adult um, with ASD and she was saying her experiences as a teenager um, the language that people used didn't quite seem to fit with her um, so she decided actually she was going to use less and less language for a sense of control so again it's really important that we connect um, with our young people through many different ways um, and whether that's just you know sitting with them talking to them listening to them through role plays there is so many books and stories and every topic um, under the sun out there that is can be really useful just with our young people to explore that idea or to at least start the conversation um, and then social stories social narratives are all great tools as well and Seanine I'm wondering in your experience, what's the single 
strategy or tool that you think can be most helpful for supporting an autistic young person to understand social rules? Yeah, James, the one thing that I would use um, most of the time would be social stories. Social stories are brilliant. Um, They present information in a literal, concrete way that our young people with ASD can understand. They help improve their understanding of those slightly grey areas of, of life and they can be presented in different ways that make it meaningful um, for our young people. So some people will need them with photographs and right up just until like writing, um, you know, or even emails for our older teenagers or adults. Um, so they're very adaptable as well. They're great for helping young people sequence kind of events. Um, so what happens next, you know, so they, as I said, they might struggle with planning and organizing so they can be used for that. They can provide um, information on any situation really that is new to them or one that they're struggling with, whether it's a behavior that they're struggling with or a place or a person or an activity. And again, if you think about it, social stories, once they are written, they are there to be read and reread as many times as needed. And the more that the young people become clear about any situation, then you would hope that that would also have a knock-on effect on reducing anxiety as well about life, really. And I'm wondering, Shanine, just for the benefit of listeners, would there be an example of a social story you could give to us? Yeah, so I think an example of of one that parents of young children will identify with is sharing toys. So if someone is going to come to your house for a play date, you can be explaining what toys are. So yes, they're your toys. I like my toys. I will try to share most of my toys um, with Tom. My favourite toy, the train, I won't share with Tom and that's okay. Um, it's really about describing the situation and providing them with a potential behaviour um, that they can do for it to be suitable, I suppose, in the social situation. And it's really important that we're saying that they will try to share because they might not want to or they might not be successful. So it's about making sure it's successful as well. So are we are we thinking in advance of a situation, you're telling a child what's going to be coming up and what might be suitable responses in that situation? Have I, have I got that? Yeah, point? absolutely. Uh-huh. I personally really like using social stories because they make me think very carefully about each and every word that is used. And the more that I do this when I'm creating the social stories, I mean, the more that I use this in my spoken language too. An example, I think, would be if you were trying to teach your children how to behave at school and who to listen to, and you wouldn't want to be telling them that at school they listen to all the adults because that's not actually factual and it wouldn't keep them safe. What you might mean is, you know, you need to follow the school rules and if the teacher is telling all the children it's a rule, then it's okay to do that. Anytime I start a social story, it is difficult because there is so much to try to ascertain and so much information. But once we do that and break it right down as many times as we need to, they're really, really useful. That's helpful, Sonny. So a social story mightn't necessarily be a quick thing. If it's something about how to conduct yourself safely to and from school and in school, it could actually take quite a lot of time and breaking it down into lots of different sort of scenarios and aspects of school life yeah. is that right um and i'm just thinking here of another one about school life that often comes up is the child who follows the rules to the letter um, and so the rule is you know no swearing 
and they go outside with their friends in the playground at lunchtime and their friends are swearing. Child goes in, tells the teacher. The child gets in trouble with their friends and he just cannot understand why when actually the rule is don't swear in front of adults and don't swear when adults can hear you. So social stories are a good way of describing those unwritten rules, I suppose, um, a little bit easier. Mm. And almost then a parent could use a situation like that if there's been a bit of an incident where, like that example of the friends falling out with the person, the parent could then use that as a, as a learning opportunity almost, Seanine, I suppose. I'm wondering just for our listeners' benefit, Seanine, if they're, if they're interested in reading more around uh, our topics from today, is there anything you would suggest, any resources you could recommend? Yeah, if, if you're thinking in terms of speech, language and communication needs, you've got your ICANN um, website for those children who have severe language delay um, or learning difficulties and you're thinking about intensive interaction you Tony Atwood is really good in that area anything from Simon Baron Cohen is great and it's say say then social stories anything by Carl Gray who um, devised them and Siobhan Timmons is um, our fabulous resources to use then you have got the National Autistic Society and the Middletown website, which are always um, worth checking out because they do events as well for parents um, regularly. So it's useful to always check them out. That's useful. Thanks, Seanine. And we'll try and put the links for those resources you've mentioned in the text of the podcast just for convenience for the listeners. And I'm wondering, just as we draw to a close, Seanine, is there one main takeaway out of, out of this today that you, you would want to just emphasize for, for folk listening? Well, I hope everyone's got at least one thing, as you say. Um, the main thing, the main tip is either social stories or the 10 second rule, just because they are so useful in everyday life, I think. And if nothing else, give one or two strategies a go at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself. And actually, most of the time, once you pick one or two strategies, other strategies will naturally fall into place anyway. They won't work automatically and that's fine but just reflect learn and try to fix whatever the reason is that it's not working i suppose get feedback from other people like other family members record yourself practice with others not just your young person um, with asd and finally i think if we want our young person um to change their communication and create a better connection with them then we as parents need to try and change slightly um, to begin with. Thanks for that, Seanine. Um, lots of practical tips in, in today's podcast. I appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time to share that today. And thank you to you as well, our, our listeners. We uh, have put a little feedback questionnaire, feedback survey in the text of the podcast, and we'd love to know uh, what you thought today about the podcast and if there's any topics you'd like us to cover in future, that'd be, be really helpful to us. And we hope you find today's podcast helpful. <laughs>